you can't put a tennis ball through your nose without something happening. And we have done a very poor job of educating women before delivery as to what to expect and really what is the realm of normal. So I see a lot of women who are so upset. You know, they had this birth plan. It Mm -hmm. didn't work out. Absolutely. A woman should have her birth plan. But I think every woman should also understand that the baby in your body may have other plans for you. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Liesl Teen, and today we are diving into a topic that often remains in the shadows, despite its profound impact on women's health. Can you guess what it is? It is the pelvic floor. Yeah. So pelvic floor health isn't just a topic for medical professionals. I will tell you that. It is something that affects millions and millions of women. And yet it's often met with silence or uncertainty. Like what even is pelvic floor health? That is why I am totally thrilled to have the Down There Doctors here with me today. Dr. Karen Eibler and Dr. Victoria Scott are passionate urogynecologists who have made it their mission to shine a spotlight on pelvic floor health and break that stigma that is unfortunately uh, surrounding it. They are also the co-authors of the candidly titled book, A Women's Guide to Her Pelvic Floor. What the S is going on down there? In this episode, we'll discuss common challenges women face during and after pregnancy and uncover practical solutions to empower women with knowledge about their bodies. Yes. So throughout our conversation, you guys are going to learn about the importance of pelvic floor health, break down myths and misconceptions, and uncover how their book aims to empower women with the knowledge they need to navigate this often overlooked aspect of their own well-being. So without further ado, let's get it started. Hi, Dr. Eilbert and Dr. Scott. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here today with me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about all of these things that are very, very important and I feel like need to come to light because gosh, like your pelvic floor, I feel like it just started to get popular in the past. I don't know. You guys probably obviously know better than I do, but past 10 years or so people are like, oh yeah, your pelvic floor is a thing that we have to focus on. Like after we have kids, because it's so, so important. So we're going to be doing a lot of talk about that today, but before we get into all of that, can you guys introduce yourselves and let our listeners know who you are, where you're from, anything you want to share at all? Go ahead, Troy. Sure. So my name is Victoria Scott. I am a urogynecologist. My background training is in urology. And then I did subspecialty training in urogynecology to gain more expertise in the pelvic floor. I did my training at UCLA, my medical school residency and fellowship. And then I joined Dr. Albert in practice in LA. 
And then I left shortly after having kids. Uh, now I'm in private practice in LA as well. Awesome. I can literally just copy what Dr. Scott just said because <laughs> we, we did the exact same training at UCLA. I've just been doing this for a million more years, which is why like she was actually a trainee of mine also. But, you know, to your point, it's so interesting. Like when I started practice over 20 years ago, you would be hard pressed to find like a pelvic floor physical therapist. And yeah, nobody really knew like what the pelvic floor was. So I think it's great that, you know, people like you and I think just the public in general are paying a little more attention to an extremely important part of our body. Uh, yeah, if not like one of the most important parts of our body. Like, yeah. We would argue that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for those of our listeners who don't know what a urogynecologist is, um, what is a urogynecologist? And when would you say someone should seek out you guys as a specialist? Can I take this one? <laughs> so a urogynecologist can either be a gynecologist by training or a urologist. And after they finish their residency, they'll do additional fellowship training in what is called urogynecology or formerly female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. And as one of our prior residents described us, we're kind of like the last stop for everybody. So uh -huh. anything that is literally going on down there, most of the time urogynecologists can take care of it. So anything ranging from recurrent bladder infections to chronic pelvic pain to incontinence, to prolapse, to sexual dysfunction, anything that you would think your gynecologist would take care of, because just generally women don't think about going to a urologist that is a little more specialized, typically your urogynecologist can address that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I know you guys recently wrote a book. Is that correct? There's new, a new book out. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about that and kind of what your inspiration was behind uh, writing it? So we were inspired after seeing so many women in our clinic present with pelvic floor issues, like Dr. Albert mentioned, with urinary incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, pelvic pain, fecal incontinence, and not knowing what was going on with their bodies. And a lot of this kind of fear and shame and embarrassment really inspired us to write a book to provide women with just a general knowledge of what is going on in their pelvic floor what it is, because as you say, unfortunately, as women, we get almost zero education, probably, if any, on what the pelvic floor is, what can go wrong, how we can protect it. Um, and so we tried to write the book in kind of a lighthearted, interesting, fun way that women can really engage with the material and understand it and hopefully even start to open up with more conversations with their friends and family and just talk more and be more open about the pelvic floor help normalize a lot of these issues and realize, hey, you are absolutely not alone. These issues are so common. So that was our goal. And we had a lot of fun with it. And we're really hoping that women enjoy it and um, can help to kind of spread the word and promote education and engagement yeah. about the pelvic floor. Yeah, I love it. Well, we're all about education here at Mommy Learners, obviously. So big fan. What is the name of the book? We will definitely link it in the show notes for people to check out. So it's called A Woman's Guide to Her Pelvic Floor. What the F is going on down there? Love it. <laughs> well, and the, the subtitle came about because literally that's what a lot of women were saying. They're like, yeah. what the heck is going on down there? Uh -huh. You know, and you can't just take it too seriously because it's just too depressing. Otherwise, honestly, so you just got to be like, what yeah. the F? What can I do? Let's just take care of it. Yep. Yep. 
We like to take away the shame and embarrassment part as well. So making things lighthearted just helps women feel more comfortable, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love this whole, I don't know if this is a total side note from anything we're going to talk about. (laughs) I love this whole movement. I feel like that we're having as a society of like ridding shame because, oh my goodness, shame is so rooted in so many aspects of being a woman. I mean, being a person in general, but especially being a woman. So hats off to you guys for also fighting that fight. Well, also on topic, but off of our main topic, we actually also wrote a paper called Vagina is Not a Bad Word. Ooh, I like it. Because it's, there is, it's not even a slang term and yet people oh. shy away from it so much. I mean, it's the only actual medical and scientific word for it. And it's really amazing how we don't use it in society or when you say it, it's always like with a little bit of like yeah. giggles or shame or. Uh-huh. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Hey, I love the side topics. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what you should be learning and doing in each week of pregnancy to feel your best and get prepared for birth? I know that when you're pregnant, it can feel impossible to stay on top of all the new stuff going on with your body, your baby, and your bulging at the seams to-do list. That's why I created the free weekly pregnancy series. Sign up to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. That's all one word, mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant. See you in your inbox real soon. Let's get back to our our main topic, but obviously we're on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. So most of my listeners here are pregnant and there's a lot of things happening with your pelvic floor during pregnancy. So what's going on down there? What the F is going on down there with uh, your pelvic floor during pregnancy? You want to start, Victoria? So the pelvic floor, well, let's start with what is the pelvic floor, I guess, Um, because many women, you know, may not be as as familiar with it. So the pelvic floor is a hammock of muscles and connective tissue um, that supports your pelvic organs. So the urethra, the bladder, the vagina, the uterus, and the surrounding intestines and the rectum. And it really helps stabilize your core as well. So during pregnancy, we have mechanical pressure from the growing uterus and baby pressing down on the supportive hammock of muscles. So we can have weakening and loosening, which has to happen to, you know, accommodate the growing uterus and baby, but also can lead to urinary incontinence, leaking urine, pelvic organ prolapse or dropping of any of these organs. And then we also have hormonal changes. So the increasing progesterone levels also lead to laxity in the pelvic floor. Also progesterone can increase risk of constipation and hemorrhoids. So there is definitely a lot going on down there. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, there's a lot of that progesterone going on in the first trimester. I have a good friend who is pregnant now and she's, oh my goodness, like struggling with a lot of constipation issues because of all of that. And it changes rather quickly. It's not just pregnancy, you know, and this baby, like uh, with the gravity, it's like all of these hormonal changes too, correct? Absolutely. So tell her, Please do not strain too hard. Take whatever she needs to help prevent the constipation because the straining can really increase risk of the hemorrhoids Mm -hmm. and the prolapse and, you know, decreased repair of those of those muscles and nerves postpartum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there anything are there any, you know, things you can do during pregnancy to help kind of reduce the likelihood that you'll have 
problems or is everybody just destined to have pelvic floor issues post-birth or during pregnancy or whatnot? Tell, tell us what we can do proactively. I mean, not every woman is destined. Otherwise, we'd be even busier than we are. Right. But, <laughs> but the problem is you cannot predict which women are going to have problems and which ones aren't. Yeah. But the best thing that women can do even before pregnancy is to be doing pelvic muscle exercises, right? Or like your Kegel exercises. Yeah. Um, and probably exercises that are similar to that. A lot of Pilates kind of work your, your pelvic floor quite a bit. So that's a good thing to do. I think also basic stuff, which is just healthy in general, try not to put on too much weight because that puts extra, you know, pressure mm-hmm. on the pelvic floor as well. But really doing your Kegel exercises and, you know, trying as much as you can because, it's kind of like working out in general when you're in shape, right? Muscle has memory. So mm-hmm. ideally after you deliver, things will go back to what they were. And in fact, most countries of the world, except for ours, encourage women to be doing like pelvic floor PT before delivery. Yeah. yeah, totally. I know. I've talked about this when I've had other pelvic floor specialists come on the Pond Me Mommy Livers podcast. And we always make a note to say that, that like what's going on in the U.S., they talk about pelvic floor stuff all the time. And they it's part of the routine care after you have a baby. Even before. Even yeah. before in a lot of places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's so okay. Part of, part of us are kind of happy because then otherwise we have nothing to fix. Yeah. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> But yeah, they're realizing now, like, to, in order to get better outcomes after a knee replacement or a hip replacement, they start PT ahead of time. So the same thing with yeah. the delivery. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, speaking of delivery, let's talk about what happens uh, during labor and delivery, not just specifically vaginal delivery, too. But like if you have a C-section, because, you know, a third of people have C-sections here in the U.S., during delivery, your pelvic floor muscles are stretching to at least three times their normal length to accommodate the baby passing you know, through the vaginal opening. So you're not just having actually stretching of the muscles, but you're having compression mm-hmm. and nerve damage. So these are the, the things that need to repair after delivery to help, your, help you regain function. So you can also have, you know, let's talk about things we hope don't happen, but can happen because... I I mean, I love on all of your literature and website, even if women are planning, for example, like a natural birth, you say, hey, but let's also make sure you're educated about the C-section, the epidural, which we absolutely love too. So not that we want women to be fearful, but, you know, it's so important to recognize things can happen. So you can have tearing, of course, through the perineum, rarely, but occasionally all the way into the rectum. And all of that would need to be repaired. And that would absolutely be an important time to see pelvic floor PT right after. Um, so those are the main the main issues or the main things that are going on with the pelvic floor. With the C-section, um, it's interesting. So, you know, there's this big question, are women who have C-sections protected from a lot of the pelvic floor issues that can occur during a vaginal delivery? And our research shows that, yes, there's definitely increased risk of the incontinence and the prolapse with the C-section, especially if it's planned, mm-hmm. as opposed to having labored and pushed quite a bit. But it's not 100% protective. So women with a C-section are still under, are still going through the stress of the pregnancy on the pelvic floor. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you're still, everything's the same up until the very end. So why would it really differ in those terms, right? I think if I had to make a point for women, because we'll see a lot of women, you know, relatively immediately postpartum, like four weeks, six weeks, you know, with tearing and different things, which first of all, every woman has to tear or have an episiotomy right? You can't put a tennis ball through your nose without something happening. And 
we have done a very poor job of educating women before delivery as to what to expect and really what is the realm of normal. So I see a lot of women who are so upset, you know, they had this birth plan. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out. Absolutely. A woman should have her birth plan. But I think every woman should also understand that the baby in your body may have other plans for you. So it is not a failure on your part. It is not anything that is not, again, a variant of normal. And whatever happens, happens. The most important thing is healthy mom, healthy baby. We can fix just about anything afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just focus on that. But I do think that we give women the impression, especially just because on TV and different things, women have a baby and they show up like a day later fully made up and everything. And people probably don't realize because they have a makeup artist, three nannies, someone is probably holding them up for the photo shoot. Yep. So that is not real life. Like after you have a baby, you are exhausted. Things don't feel good. Your hormones are going crazy. You're probably starting a nurse, which may or may not work. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you, you might have some plans, but you know, life has other plans for you. All right, the sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, no questions, but I did your C-section course for my second that was born just this Tuesday, and it made a world of difference. I used the C-section birth plan template, and I got almost everything I'm requested. It was a very redeeming experience compared to my first C-section. I got a clear drape the entire procedure. My husband got to cut the cord, and most importantly, I got skin to skin in the OR. It felt like my birth. So thank you for all your help. Oh, that is so sweet. And she sent a little picture of her and her husband or a little baby doing skin to skin in the OR. I just love to see it. If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. Two things I want to bring up. Number one, did you take a mommy labor nurse uh, online birth course? Because like, that's exactly what we talk about. (laughs) I had three babies, so unfortunately from experience. (laughs) Well, and listening to our patients, I mean, I just, even as a doctor, like you didn't really, like, I think one of the most disappointing things for me was I had the baby, right? And I actually put on quite a bit of weight during my pregnancy, but I remember having the baby and I looked down, I looked exactly the same, just floppy, right? And you're like, of course, that's what happened. You don't think about it. And you're like, so you're like, oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. I know. The other thing I was going to say too, you brought up like getting all glammed up. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I can't stand those people magazine pictures. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like they feature somebody like that. Just, they must contact them and they're like, don't announce anything. Like we'll pay you to have. And I'm like, that is not real. Stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) So that's so true. I know. Another side note, of course, but we talked a little bit about postpartum, but do you want to elaborate a little bit more on maybe some of the hormonal changes, kind of what's going on postpartum with your pelvic floor? Okay. So sure. Absolutely. Um, So we talked about all the kind of regrowth and regeneration of muscles and nerves that needs to occur for you to regain your continence. You know, so many women are like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll have some leakage, but they're really kind of alarmed when they realize, hey, I'm changing my diaper and the baby's diaper because I'm just leaking so much urine. So normal. And then the bleeding and probably some kind of prolapse or sensation of heaviness in the vagina. But over six weeks to three months to six months, you really should see slow improvement in the incontinence to a point where it's probably for most women going to be gone or a lot better by six months, the leakage and the regrowth of the muscles so you shouldn't feel that pressure 
If you're breastfeeding, then your estrogen levels are going to drop. So you're going to feel probably some dryness in the vagina, which can definitely Mm -hmm. lead to painful intercourse. Mm -hmm. Those would be the main things. And then, of course, you may still have some constipation or pain. It's not just with the painful intercourse. It's not just the dryness. But of course, it's those muscles that are kind of having to regrow, too. And you may have some extra scar tissue. So I think that's another big one that we don't talk about enough to women. You know, Mm. you, you go to your six-week checkup and your OB's like, okay, everything looks good. You're great. Like, see you in a year. Um, And then they don't really get much time to talk about, you know, hey, well, when you have intercourse for the first time, it's probably going to hurt. Don't worry. Use a lubricant. Take your time. Try again. And if it's still really hurting, then absolutely pelvic floor PT is going to be a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well said. Well, what are some signs that you might have some pelvic floor issues, regardless maybe of pregnancy, postpartum, what kind of things do you guys see? The most disturbing ones to women are accidentally wetting or pooping themselves or pain with intercourse. Yeah. Having enjoyable, pain-free sex is something that everyone should be entitled to. Yeah. Especially if you never had it before delivery and here, you know, you just had your baby, probably have to wait a minimum six weeks, maybe even closer to eight weeks. And, you know, especially we didn't touch on this earlier, but when you're nursing, right, you're suppressing your hormone levels. So you just had this baby. You don't realize your estrogen levels are low, so you're not quite lubricating. And what a shocker and what a bummer. And again, this is something that I think we really have not done a good job of educating women about that can happen after delivery. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Well said. Well, what if you're like, uh, that's me. (laughs) What do I do? What are some of the first steps like for people out there? If they're resonating with this episode and they're like, oh, wait a second, um, there's actually something I can do about it. What advice would you give them? I would say start with a visit to your gynecologist um, just so they can make sure there's nothing going on that we need to fix, like an infection or something like that. And then absolutely ask for a referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Great place to start. If you're not making progress there, then ask for a referral to a urogynecologist or look one of us up. Um, It's funny, we were just talking about this, like even in medical school, medical students don't get much exposure to the field of urogynecology. So don't be surprised if you mention it to your primary doctor and they're like, "Eh, I don't really know what they're going to do for you. Or, you know, you're still having pain and maybe they brushed you off a little bit because they themselves may not know what to do. So absolutely pelvic floor PT, urogynecologist. Yeah. And pelvic floor PT, it's kind of like online, like kind of yoga classes are not as good when they're not in person, but it is absolutely an option, especially if you don't have one in your area, you know, so it's good to be able to get a consultation. I mean, you're clearly not going to put your legs up on the screen, hopefully, but they can definitely, you know, talk you through a lot of things. And I think the important thing that Dr. Scott said was just make sure there's nothing wrong. And sometimes what you really just need is time. You know, sometimes it just takes a a little while for your body to get, you know, back to normal, but you need that reassurance that there is nothing Mm. wrong. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that goes back to the whole birth plan thing that we just talked about and setting your expectations uh, too high. Like probably a lot of people think, oh, like this is going to go back to normal and it's going to be this amount of time because nobody really talks about it. So I'm just kind of guessing in my head, but that's really good advice to let people know that it's, I mean, time heals all, right? Like (laughs) heals the heart, it heals the blood. You're right. (laughs) So a simple thing that a woman can do is go to the store and buy a lubricant. Yeah. If if you're having pain with sex because it's dry, there is kind of this misconception that 
lubricants are only for old, dried up women. And that is absolutely not true. Um, Some women, whether it's because they're postpartum or because of prolonged birth control or just different reasons, if they don't lubricate well, there are so many lubricants out there that can be purchased now. Love it. Okay. Other question. Can we go through some different lubricants? Because there's water-based, there's oil, there's silicone-based. What if somebody, I can imagine somebody saying, oh, okay, I'm going to go get some lube. And then they go and there's all these lube and they're like, oh, what do I get? What's the difference? Like buying a vibrator. We can talk about the differences about those later. We can do that too. (laughs) We got that. (laughs) I'll take the lubricant one. So the basic differences, like you said, are either water-based, oil-based, or silicone. Regardless of what type a woman buys, what she really should look for are lubricants that are made with what you would consider clean ingredients, like even in the beauty industry. Ah. So avoiding things like glycerin, phthalates, like just certain chemicals that can be really irritating because especially if you just had a baby and your hormones are still changing down there, you don't want anything that's going to irritate you more. And then if it irritates you more and it's more painful, then that's a turnoff definitely for trying to have sex again. Yeah, And I think if someone is really dry. And if condom use is not an issue, I think an oil-based lubricant is probably best. Got it. Got it. So you're saying don't use oil-based stuff with condoms. Is that correct? Correct. Because theoretically the oil will break down the latex, right? Got it. Makes sense. Okay. I mean, theoretically, it's like, I'm not really sure how, I mean, we, we I'm sure we're prolonged use, but the question is like, if someone's only having sex for like 10 minutes, but you know, right. we're not going right. to go there right now. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I know it. I know it. Well, we already talked about your book a little bit, but can you remind our listeners where they can get your book and learn a little bit more about you guys and follow you guys here on the lovely World Wide Web? So you can find our book on Amazon. Um, again, it's A Woman's Guide to Her Pelvic Floor with the F that's going on down there. And you can also um, check us out on social media. We try to provide, you know, in- informational um, videos and content for just women's health in general or uh, downtheirdoctors.com. Love it. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on today. Such an important topic to touch on. We're very uh, pro pelvic floor health here at Mommy Labor Nurse. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing too to help educate women about the pelvic floor because it takes everyone. It takes a village, right? Yeah. So they say. Well, wasn't that such an informative episode? Love it. Thanks to Dr. Eibler and Dr. Scott for coming on. That was such a fun little episode to end the year. And guess what? We are taking a little break next week. So no new Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode next week. And I will see you guys in the new year. I can't even believe that it's been, gosh, when did I start this podcast? October of 2019. So that means we are four years deep in the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast, just over 200 episodes. It's been a wild ride. I just, I love connecting with you guys on here and you guys know me. I just love to talk about just, you know, everything. And it's just cool that the podcast allows me to do that, to connect with other educators, other experts, have you guys on here to talk about your birth stories. And sometimes it's, you know, it's just little old me (laughs) getting on here. So I'm so thankful for you guys. Can't wait to see what 2024 looks like and what 2024 has in store for this podcast. 